Father, may we never forget. God, may we never forget just how good and faithful you are. Lord, you are so faithful, and we see that through your word. As we look and see what you have said to us, God, as mere human beings, we have an insight into just how faithful and good you are, and you have given us that through your precious word. Lord, I am so thankful for it. God, any time that I am discouraged, that I'm feeling down, I can go to this word, I can open it up, and I can find over and over and over again the faithfulness of God. And what a reassurance it is, God, that no matter what happens around me, uh, no matter who's in charge, it, it seems, in whatever country, God, no matter what seems to be going on around me, I can rest in the fact that I have peace in you because you are indeed in charge, God, that you are the king above every king, Lord, and I just praise your name for that. Lord, uh, right now, as we look at your word, we are about to just dive in and see just how you are in control, and Lord, I know that there are people right now that they feel like their lives are out of control. They feel like there's so many things going on around them, they don't know which way is up. God, they feel like they're drowning. God, maybe they feel just overwhelmed. I've talked to so many people this week that just feel overwhelmed. And God, I just pray, God, that they would take this, this picture of what you have done and who you are, and they would rest in the fact that you are indeed in control, God, and that we can rest in that. God, that you are always faithful, even when we are not. So, Lord Jesus, please speak to us now through your word and be glorified as it changes our lives forever. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. This happens to be one of my favorite chapters of uh, Daniel that we're going to study today. We're still in the book of Daniel. Um, I don't know necessarily why this isn't preached very much. I guess it is sometimes, not, not in modern days so much as it used to be, the old school preachers. I actually watched a sermon that Billy Graham did on this particular passage. And uh, it seems like it was more common for people to preach this passage back in the olden days, you know. Uh, and this is about the handwriting on the wall, right? So some people, you may have heard this term before, that, that you feel like you can see the handwriting on the wall, right? You've heard that phrase. You may not know that that's actually a biblical term, that that's a phrase that comes out of Scripture, in particular Daniel chapter 5. You know, what does that mean when somebody says, I can see the handwriting on the wall? That means you can see what's about to happen, right? It's like a... Like you can see it written on the wall, what's about to happen, right? You know that there's something coming around the corner. You can see that it's just about to happen, and you kind of can anticipate what's going to happen, right? So if you'll allow me for just a couple of minutes, I will share my own quick story about a time when I could see the handwriting on the wall in my life. Now, this is not uh, necessarily a desperate time in my life. This is more a humorous thing that happened in me. It felt desperate at the time, but as I look back now, it was not a big deal at all, as a matter of fact. But to me, at that time, it seemed like a big deal. So I went to college, right? Some of you may know that I went to Just Show Up University right down the road. And uh, <laughs> some of y'all are like, no, it ain't. No, it ain't. I go there, man. It ain't that. It ain't that. So anyway, I'm kidding. Jacksonville State University. I love you. You know, Jim on the Hill, you know, all that. So anyway, Jim of the Hills, not on the Hills. But anyway, so um, anyway, so I, I was in, in college. I was going to Jacksonville State. And, uh, you know, I, I was feeling pretty confident going into college. And I was feeling pretty good about myself. I made decent grades in high school. Didn't really have to study a lot, you know. I was like this whole, 
you know, memorizing stuff. I got that down. It turns out you can be pretty good at school if you just can memorize stuff. You know, it turns out if you got that skill, then you're pretty good at school. I mean, right, that's what it boils down to. So I was pretty good at that. Well, it turns out that it's not necessarily that way in college. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you can't just memorize stuff. That will get you by a little while. You know what I mean? Like, but there are times when you actually got to process some information and you got to start, start doing some calculations and you're like, man, this is a little bit harder than just memorizing some stuff. And uh, so I was decent at things like math, you know, I... I took some AP courses when I was in high school, AP physics, AP calculus, all this kind of stuff, you know. So I felt pretty good going into college. felt like I was reasonably equipped to go into to college and handle college. And you know, I actually I placed into calculus too, right out of high school, into college. And I don't say that boastfully. I, I'll tell you in a minute why I'm telling you that. But anyway, so I was feeling pretty good about myself in calculations, math, that kind of thing. I thought I was going to get a, a double major in computer science and math was going to be my, my double major. Um, turns out that didn't happen. I got, did get a computer science degree, but I did not get that double major in math. So um, part of that was because I had this revelation while I was uh, part of the way through my college career. I was about halfway through, and uh, my buddy had warned me. He said, uh, I know you got a computer science major on your, on your catalog, and that's where you're headed. You're going into computer science. Um, this was actually a family member. He told me, he said, but let me warn you, there's this new professor out there, okay, he is a recent graduate of Auburn University, and he just got his Ph.D. in physics. And if you're going to take physics from him, you better be ready. You know what I mean? Like, I said, man, look, I took physics in high school. No, I didn't pass the AP exam in physics and all that, okay? But I took physics in high school. I took the AP physics class, you know, and it was, I did well. I got an A in that class. It's all fine. I said, I said I'm pretty good at math. How hard can this be, right? So I sat in there. And uh, the first class I had actually was, uh, was a lab. So um, I, don't know, I, I don't know if any of you have had this epiphany before, but have you ever sat in a class before, whether it's high school, college, I don't know, maybe seminary, I don't know, but you have sat there and, and you, it was like whoever was teaching the class was speaking a different language. You know what I mean? Like you look around to see if other people are understanding what's, what the professor's talking about, the teacher's talking about. You're like looking around. You're trying to figure out if they are as confused as you are. Like, because I sat there. I, I'm, I'm telling you, y'all, I, I felt like I was pretty strong in math. And here I was taking physics, which is just, just like the physical environment put to math. You know, like, I can handle this, right? And I, I sat in, in, a, in a, it was like a two-hour lab. And I sat there for two hours I couldn't understand what the guy was saying. I was trying to write down stuff. I didn't even know what to write down, y'all. I was like, I don't even know how to take notes in this class. I don't even know what I'm supposed to be understanding, much less how to understand it. And I was sitting there, and I was like, and I was looking around. And the other people, man, they, they were not like me. They were taking notes, and they seemed to be comprehending what the guy was saying. Like, they seemed to be, like, writing stuff down. They're like, oh, yeah, and they're nodding like they're understanding what's going on. Y'all, I, I, it was like I could see behind the professor a handwriting on the wall. You are not going to pass physics. <laughs> it was like Jesus was whispering in my ear, it ain't going to happen, you know. So um, needless to say, after one, I didn't even get to the physics class. I just went to one laboratory, okay. <laughs> I went as fast as I could to, to the uh, administrative office. I said, look. 
I got to not only drop this class, I've got to change my major slightly. I got to do whatever it takes so I don't have to take physics because he was the only physics professor at the time at JSU. And shout out to Dr. Stagliano, man. You're, you're the man and you're good and all that, but I just, I don't know what you're talking about, dude. So anyway, uh, so, so I actually changed catalogs. So I got a degree in computer science with a concentration in software engineering. So you know what that meant? It meant I didn't have to take physics. It meant that I could actually get my degree and I had to take geology and geography and I could study some rocks and I can memorize some rocks and some maps. I could do that. So I took those two classes and I got my computer science degree and I never had to take physics. I could see the handwriting on the wall, what was going to happen if I had to take physics. It was not going to go well. Kenny was going to fail that class. It, it, so I dropped that class immediately, changed everything about my major. Now, am I telling you that that's the right thing to do? Sometimes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> am I telling you you're supposed to quit? I don't know, man. There are some times when you see the handwriting on the wall and you may need to go, I need to drop that class. You know what I mean? So, um, I. Could I have hung in there? Could I have passed physics? Yeah, probably. Could I have just skated by, just maybe by, by the skin of my teeth, maybe gotten through that class? Yeah, maybe. But I sure didn't want to try it. You know what I mean? Like, I sure did not want to. I, I had like a full-time job, and I was just trying to get out of college. You know, I was, I was trying to just show up thing. But anyway, so I was, I was just trying to get out of there. And, uh, and I was not going to just get out of there if I took that physics class. So I dropped it and changed everything and but, but that, that term, the handwriting on the wall, I don't know if you know where that comes from, but it actually comes from Daniel chapter 5, which is where we're going to be right now. And, and I want to kind of give you the background. So a lot of stuff has happened. You remember we talked about Nebuchadnezzar and the fact that, that he, like, he lost his mind. That, that Daniel, he had a dream, and, and, and there was this, this tree that was cut down, and there was a stump, and it was bound by these, uh, these, these uh, bands of iron that were holding down the trunk, and, and like... Daniel comes in, tells Nebuchadnezzar, hey, man, that's you. You're going to lose your mind. You're going to go out in the wilderness, and the dew's going to fall on your head, and you're going to eat grass like a cow and all this kind of stuff. And sure enough, that's what happens. And uh, so, so, that's, that, so Nebuchadnezzar, I really believe, based on what we see in Scripture, I really believe that he finally came to his senses. It looks like at the end of chapter 4, man, he really repented. He came to faith in Christ. He came to faith in the one true God. And, man, like, he gave... You know, everything to acknowledge that God, the one true God of Israel, was the one true God. And I believe that is an indication that, man, he was indeed a follower of the one true God. So that's what I believe we see at the end of chapter 4. So some things have happened. Actually, by the time we get to chapter 5, it's about 70 years since chapter 1. So a lot has happened. Oh, Daniel, man, he's like in his 80s somewhere in there. You know, he was like a teenager in chapter 1. Now he's like in his mid-80s probably, as we see in chapter 5. And Daniel's still kicking, man. He's still doing his thing. He, he, he's, he's still there. He's still faithful to God. He's still doing everything that he's supposed to be doing. And we see that there's another king that's come into power. Now, you've got to understand that, that in the Babylonian kingdom, man, there's all kinds of turmoil going on, man. Like there's people killing brothers and sisters so that they don't, you know, they're not in line for the rule. And, and like, I want to make sure that he doesn't, he doesn't have uh, the rights to the kingdom. So I'm going to kill him and take this and... And there are people just conspiring, and they're killing young kids. And, I mean, just, just crazy stuff, you know. So, finally, we see, um, we see some people come into power uh, in, in this particular passage in, in Daniel chapter 5. Uh, you got to understand that lots of different things have gone on here. And I'll give you a little bit more background in, in just a second. But there's this dude named Belshazzar, okay. Now, he's in control in Babylon, in the province of Babylon, 
Like he's in the city of Babylon, you know, which is like basically 12 by 12 square miles. That's how big it is. So he's actually in control there. Well, his dad, Nabonidus, is actually over the entire, entire kingdom of Babylon. But he does not actually reside in the city. He is actually hanging out outside the city and doesn't really go into to the city himself. And he rules from outside there. But he's got, he's got Belshazzar hanging out inside the city. And he's kind of in control. He's like the second in command, if you will. Okay, So he's kind of got a, you kind of got a dual kings going on here. They're kind of together. He's like his son. Hey, son, take care of the, the kingdom over here. I'm going to hang out outside the city because I know if I hang out inside the city, they're probably going to kill me. So good luck to you, son. Have your way in the kingdom, in the, in the city over here. It's going to be good. You just take control in there. So that's what's going on, all right? Well, while that's going on, um, the Medo-Persians, okay, so this is another group, very uh, powerful group of people. They're, they're scattered all over the world, and they're coming in, man, they're taking over this and taking over that, and they're coming in, taking over kingdoms, and they actually, um, they're outside the walls of Babylon. They, they've taken Nabonidus captive, and they, they've got him, okay? So he, he's like the main guy in charge, right? And now they're on the outside of the walls of Babylon, the city of Babylon, and they're trying to get in. Now, you've got to understand this. This is, a, this is pretty cool. Um, Babylon, the city itself, yeah, I told you it was 12 miles by 12 miles, really big city. Do you know how thick the walls were in, in the city? 87 feet thick. So basically, basically the width of this room, that's how thick the walls were, right? That's a pretty thick wall. And some of the estimates about how high it was, 300 feet high, the walls around the city. That's a big old wall, y'all. I mean, that's, that's really big. Big, big. Big, 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 you know. And then they would have these towers that would extend like 150 feet above that. So they would, the towers would be like 450 feet off the ground. And, the, and they, they had the Euphrates River just roll right through the city. So... Hey, man, they're, they're just, they're good, you know. In the Medo-Persian Empire, they're charging at the Babylonians, trying to take them over. And they, they've captured Nabonidus, and now they're trying to capture the city of Babylon. And they're like, man, we're good in here, y'all. We got, we got plenty of food. Things should be going good. Y'all don't worry so much. Um, Belshazzar, he decides to throw a party, right? He's like, hey, I mean, look. I'm going to put all y'all's mind at ease because I'm going to throw a party here in the midst of being under attack. Hey, the walls are 87 feet thick. And we've got these huge bronze gates, bronze gates that are protecting us. We've got towers that are 450 feet tall, walls that are 300 feet tall. We've got nothing to worry about in here, y'all. We are good. Let's throw a party. You know what I mean? Like he is like, let's have a good time. Let's show everybody that we are good to go. It is going to be okay. So that's what he does. Belshazzar. Now, this is not Belshazzar. Belshazzar would have been Daniel's name. Okay, this is Belshazzar. Uh, and he is actually the king that's in control of the city of Babylon at this time. So it says, Many years later, King Belshazzar gave a great feast for a thousand of his nobles. And, they drank, and he drank wine with them. While Belshazzar was drinking wine, he gave orders to bring gold and silver cups that his predecessor, Nebuchadnezzar, so got way back when, when he captured uh, Jerusalem, he said, had taken from the temple in Jerusalem. He wanted to drink from them, 
uh, with his nobles, his wives, and his concubines. So they brought these gold, gold cups taken from the temple of the house of God in Jerusalem. And the king and his nobles and his wives and his concubines drank from them. While they drank from them, they praised their idols of gold, silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. All right, so they're, they're like, hey, we good, man. As a matter of fact, we so good. Go get, go get the stuff we took out of the temple back in Jerusalem. Go get those, those golden cups and bring those up in here. We're going to drink out of those. We're going to show how powerful we are. Man, that, those, you remember the Israelites that we took into captivity? That, that Supposedly their big powerful God that even Nebuchadnezzar ended up believing in, you know? It's so powerful. Hey, we still got their stuff taken out of their temple. They ain't got a real powerful God if I'm fixing to drink wine out of their, out of their goblets with me. And, and look, they're having an orgy, basically, is what's going on here. It's a drunken orgy is what's going on. I, I don't want to sugarcoat things because that's what's going on here. All kinds of debauchery. They're drinking wine. They're, they're just they're messed up. I mean, it's, it is bad news what's going on here. So he gets so drunk, and he's like, all right, bring out the stuff from the temple. And, and that's what they do. They bring them in. And they, they start drinking out of them. See how powerful we are? We're good to go, right? The Persian army's on, uh, the Medo-Persian army's on the outside. We're in our big fortified city. Man, they, they have parties for thousands of people. And here he's having a party for a thousand of his nobles, man, his closest guys. Man, we are good. Don't worry. Everything is good. You know, people don't like it very much when I tell them that, you know, when you look at the book of Revelation... Uh, you know, the United States really, I mean, we're, we're not in there anywhere in the end times. We're not, we're not really found in there. We, we, we may be in there, but if we are, we don't have any kind of major play in the end times, okay? I mean, we, we may just be like a blip on the map. Now, why is that? I don't know. Could it be that we destroy ourselves? Could, we, could it be that we destroy ourselves and take ourselves out? Could be. Is it possible that somebody else comes in and takes us out? Could be. I don't know. But I'm telling you, based on what I see in the book of Revelation, us here in the United States, this, you know, these godly people that, that basically broke away so they could have religious freedom and, and practice Christianity, you know, like, like those people, you know, we don't really play a part in the end times. It's just not in there, dude. I don't know what to tell you. People don't like it when I say that. Uh, I'm like, well, go and point it out to me where you see us in that picture. I don't see it. I really don't. I don't see it in there. People are like, we are God's chosen people here in this country, man. Well, not when you look at the direction we're headed. Not when you look at the place that we're in right now. Not when you look at, at what, where our focus is in this country right now. I don't really see us as being godly people necessarily. You know? Jesus was not an American. You know? He, he doesn't wear his red, white, and blue flag around his shoulders. I mean, like... I don't know where we get this idea that, man, we're so special in this country. The reality is if you take a pause, if you pause for a minute and take a real look at who we are, we're so far away from God that, man, we can't even imagine having a true reliance and dependence on God. And we wouldn't even break away from anything. We wouldn't break away from McDonald's to go to church. You know what I mean? Like much less break away from another country to go and practice our, our faith. And that's what you see, man. And I believe that what you see here, I believe, I believe we're not just talking about the handwriting on the wall for the nation of Babylon. I, I believe, man, if you, this could be any nation. This could be the United States of America. That we could be looking around. 
Man, we look at our leaders and we look at what's going on around us. We look at, at the things that we really idolize and worship. Where we really put our, our trust and all of that. Where we really get everything that, that we want and all that kind of stuff. We really look at it. Man, we look, like, we look more like Babylon than we care to admit. That's the reality. We're strong. We're powerful. <laughs> we worship idols. Yeah. Yeah, we think we're too big to fail. You ever heard that term before, too big to fail? <laughs> yeah. You know, you know the way that you're too big to fail? The only way that you're too big to fail is if you're bigger than God. I don't know anybody that's bigger than God. I don't know any nation that's bigger than God. This idea of being too big to fail. It, it, I really believe that some people get some security in the fact that, man, we, we've got a large military. We've got this. We've got that. You know what I believe? This is just commentary according to Kenny Nix. I believe that our enemies, at some point in the future, they're not going to have to do much to destroy us or we're going to destroy ourselves. I believe that if you look at it, at, at, for one, you can just look at our debt and the fact that we, we owe other countries so much money. You can just look at that and say, we're going to destroy ourselves. Nobody's going to have to do anything. They're going to be able to take us without firing a single bullet. We're going to destroy ourselves. That's, that's what I see. That's the hand I see writing on the wall. I don't usually do a lot of political commentary. I don't usually talk about, you, you know, I don't usually talk about politics a lot. But this is really what I see. Because we're talking about a nation here who thought that they were too big to fail. I, I'm afraid here in the United States of America, we look like we're too big to fail. We think that we're too big to fail. We think that we're so strong that nothing bad's ever going to happen to us. And I believe that we need to pause for a minute and look at the handwriting on the wall. And what do we really see? Who are we really like? What do we really idolize? What do we really put our, our hope and our trust in? Is it truly in God or is it truly in something else? I think this is kind of what we see here. So they're sitting around. They're having a good time. So suddenly, chapter 5, verse 5, suddenly they saw fingers of a human hand writing on the plaster wall of the king's palace near the lampstand. The king himself saw the hand as it wrote, and his face turned pale with fright. His knees knocked together in fear, and his legs gave way beneath him. So, they're sitting there at this party. They've just brought out the chalice from the temple in Jerusalem. And up on the wall, right behind the lamp so everybody can see it, a hand appears and starts chiseling out in the plaster some words. Now, I don't know if that's enough to make you scared, but that's enough to make me scared. You know, can you imagine a hand just appearing right up here and we started, just started carving out something in the LED screen? <laughs> yeah, I'm going to fall down. Just, just, just like Belshazzar, I'm going to be like, you know. It says that, you know, his face that was flushed with, with wine before now has become pale white. That joker sobered up really quick, didn't he? That's exactly what happened. He got scared real, real quick. A hand appears on the wall and starts chiseling out in the plaster some words. So what does a king do? He freaks out, just like all the other kings do when, whenever they have something going on they don't understand. They start freaking out. So look what he, he does, the same thing the other ones do. You would think, man, they'd get tired of this after a while. He says, the king shouted for the enchanters, the astrologers, the fortune tellers he brought, to be brought before him. 
He said to these wise men of Babylon, whoever can read this writing, tell me what it means. will be dressed in purple robes of royal honor and will have a gold chain placed around his neck. He will become the third highest ruler in the kingdom. You remember that, that uh, Nabonidus was the first. He was like the main dude. And then like, like Belshazzar was, was next in line. He was the one in charge of the city of Babylon. And he was saying, look, whoever can tell me what this means, hey, you're going to be third in line, dude. We're going to put a robe around your neck. We'll give you some gold chains. You're going to look like Mr. T. It's going to be awesome. You're like, you just, you, you, you tell us what this, students are looking at me like, who? <laughs> Mr. Who? Anyway, so, um, so <laughs> thank you, Noah. You know what that means? You know what Mr. T, you know who Mr. T is? You pity the fool too? Yeah. Yeah, okay. All right. Anyway, so, um, <laughs> so he He's saying, look, whoever can tell me what this means, hey, you're going to be third in line. We're going we're to we're make you royalty. It's going to be good. You know, and, and so, you know, of course, they're going to bring everybody in. But when all the king's wise men come in, none of them could read the writing or tell them what it meant. So the king grew even more alarmed and his face turned pale. He's getting even more white. If, he, if it's some of the color rushed back into his face, it's gone again. His nobles, too, were shaken. But when the, queen, when the queen mother heard what, it, what was happening, now most likely this was like, like um, uh, th- this is probably uh, Belshazzar's grandmother. This is probably not his mother necessarily. It could be his mother potentially, but it's basically somebody that was uh, married to King Nebuchadnezzar at one point in time or maybe was the queen married to Nebuchadnezzar. But anyway, it doesn't really matter. She comes in. She, she has been around before when this stuff has happened, when they got something happening that they don't understand. So she says, she comes in and says to Belshazzar, long live the king, don't be so pale and frightened. There is a man in your kingdom who brings within him, who has within him the spirit of the holy gods. During Nebuchadnezzar's reign, this man was found to have insight, understanding, and wisdom like that of the gods. Your predecessor king, your your predecessor, the king, your predecessor, King Nebuchadnezzar, made him chief over all the magicians, enchanters, astrologers, fortune tellers of Babylon. This man, Daniel... Whom the, the king named Belshazzar has exceptional ability he has exceptional ability and is filled with divine knowledge and understanding. He can interpret dreams, explain riddles, and solve difficult problems. Call for Daniel, and he will tell you what the writing means. So what do they do? They say, all right, so call in the guys. They don't know what it means. No surprise there, right? So I don't know necessarily why they couldn't read it. Uh, we understand that, that the words that were written on the walls are actually in, in Aramaic, and, and I'll tell you what the words were in just a minute. Um, I don't know if necessarily they were blind or they were too drunk to see. I don't know what the deal was, but whatever the case, they could not see what the words said. They could not understand. It was kind of like me in that physics class. Like, the dude was talking, but it sounded like Charlie Brown's teacher. You know what I mean? Like, wah, 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 wah. They could not understand what was written on the wall, you know? They couldn't understand what was going on up there. And... and by the way, look at this. They had to call for Daniel, Belshazzar. Now, what does that mean? That means he wasn't partying with the rest of them, was he? He was doing his own thing back home. It, you never find Daniel in there hanging out, doing all the stuff that they're doing. He's always at home doing his own thing, and he's never in the middle of all their mess that they got going on. I think that should speak loudly to us, too. They, they don't get involved in the mess, man, unless you want to be the recipient of what's written, written on the wall. You know what I'm saying? So, so Belshazzar, he's at home. They had to call for him. Bring him in. Bring Daniel in. The, the queen says, look, I was there every time they had a question. You know, we brought this guy in. You need to go find Daniel. So Daniel comes in, all right? 
And I, I'm going to summarize this a little bit for you. I'm not going to read all this because apparently I'm having difficulty reading today. So <clears throat> he, he basically, uh, he comes in and says this. He says, um, he, he asks him, he says, are, are you the Daniel, one of the exiles brought from the kingdom of Judah that, that my predecessor, King Nebuchadnezzar? Uh, he says, uh, I've heard that you've got the spirit of many gods within you. It's like, you know, so this guy knows who he is. Like, he know, he's heard of Daniel before. He, 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 you solve these difficult problems. He says, he says, man, if you can interpret this, this thing that's written on the wall that we can't really understand, like, if you can do that, I will make you third in command. I will put a, a purple robe on you. We'll put some chains on you, some gold chains, make you look good. You will be third in command. It will be good. And, and he says, um, Daniel says this. I love Daniel's response. He says, keep your gifts or give them to somebody else. I'll tell you what the writing means. He's like, I'll tell you what it means, but uh, I don't need your stuff, man. I don't need your stuff. And uh, he, he goes and he says, basically is this. He says, he says, you know what's going to happen is you're about to be destroyed. Your kingdom is about to go down. Babylon is going down for good. And you just need to know that. He says, um, he says, <laughs> Bo Belshazzar, you knew all this. Talking about you knew all the stuff that Nebuchadnezzar went through when he was cast out and and he, he, was, he was out there eating grass and all this kind of stuff. And he finally came to faith in God. He finally understood who God was, acknowledged who God was, raised his head towards heaven and acknowledged and praised God. You knew all this stuff, man. It says, you, however, you have not humbled yourself. You have not humbled yourself. You have allowed pride to come in. This kingdom has been turned upside down. And instead of acknowledging God, it says, you have proudly defied the Lord in heaven. Now, how has he defied the Lord in heaven? Number one, I mean, you need to think about the fact that he didn't really call him out in the fact that he was in the middle of doing all this. He, he, was, he was drunken out of his mind, okay? He didn't call him that. He didn't call him out on that. He didn't call him out on the fact that, that, that he was having his concubines, his wives, and all this immorality going on. He didn't call him out on that. He, he, he didn't call him out on the fact that they took... The, the, the goblets from the temple in Jerusalem, they were drinking out of those, mocking God. He says, you know what your problem is? You haven't humbled yourself before God. You haven't acknowledged God for who he is. And because of that, you're going to be destroyed. Well, that's a big, big lesson for us, isn't it? We think about, man, we're too big to be destroyed. We're too big to fail, right? We know that ain't the case. You know what we need to do? I can tell you what we need to do as a country. You know what we need to do? We need to humble ourselves and acknowledge who God is and acknowledge his rightful place in this country and acknowledge that, that we can do nothing apart from him. See, the problem is the same problem these other kings have. They, they looked and they said, look what I have done, man. Look, look at all that I've created. Look at, look at this huge expanse of land and all these people that are reporting to me. Look at me, look at me, look at me. That's the number one biggest failure, man. And if you, look, if you look back at the American history and, and kind of what we've been through, um, you will see that, that early uh, in our, our nation's history, it was really about acknowledging God for who he was. It was really all about God. It was really all about being able to focus on him, being able to focus on what he was providing, and it was all about God. As a matter of fact, 
the, the places up in the northeast where we, we first kind of took up residence here in this country, man, there was just like church after church after church where people were just tuned into God. And man, they would preach some crazy, hardcore sermons. I mean, like, you think I preach hard sometimes. These dudes, I mean, I'm talking about sinners in the hands of an angry God, kind of hardcore kind of sermons. And, and they would preach this stuff, and, and they were really focused on God. Well, now if you look, man, that is one of the areas of the country where we're having to send missionaries into that, that part of the country because they've drifted so far away from God. That should, that should say something to us, shouldn't it? Uh, we, we, got, we got a friend of ours that he came and spoke at our church, and he went up and started a church up in Vermont because he said, man, that's one of the, the toughest places up there. Those people will go, yeah, I ain't going to church. I don't have any interest in knowing anything about God. Thanks very much. And close the door in your face. He said, that's kind of the way it is in the Northeast. At least down here, you know, when you go and knock on somebody's door, that they'll say, oh, yeah, I'll come and check out your church. I'll come and visit. That's what they always say, right? They say, up there, it's not even like that. They'll just go, no, nah, I don't have any interest in that. Thanks. And they'll close the door. I think that transition that we see in our nation should speak to us. And, and, and right here, uh, this message that, that God was writing on the wall was telling Belshazzar that he was fixing to come to his end. And Daniel's brought in, he says, you can keep your stuff because it ain't going to do no good to be third in command when you're about to go down tonight. Like everything is fixing to end tonight. This is the message that was written. Mini, mini, teko, parson. This is what the words mean. Mini means number. God has numbered the days of your reign. And has brought it to an end. Your number has come up. Teko means weighed. You have been weighed on the balances and have not measured up. So this is like, if you think about the justice scale, you know, like, like who you are has been weighed up and the standard is here and it turns out that, that you don't measure up. You don't measure up. You've been truly evaluated for who you are and it doesn't measure up. That's not a good sign. And he's going, that's what's written up on the wall. Daniel's like, yep. Many, many. Take a parson. It says, parson means divided. Your kingdom has been divided and given to the Medes and Persians. So what, what actually is happening uh, right here is that um, they don't know it. But you remember how I talked about the Euphrates River running right down the middle of the city of Babylon? 300 feet high walls, 87 feet thick, all that kind of stuff, right? So amazingly fortified city. Well, what they did, what the Medes and Persians did, is they actually dug a trench around the city and diverted the Euphrates around the city. You say, oh, okay, well, they were going to dry them out. They're going to say they didn't have any water, they didn't have any fish. No, that's not what they were doing. They actually dried out the river so that what they could do is crawl under the wall. When the water dropped down about waist high, they just walked right under the wall. It didn't matter how thick the wall was then, right? When the Euphrates River drifted down, they just walked right in. They took over the city without having to, to raise a single spear against them. It says, then Belshazzar's command, Daniel was dressed in purple robes, a gold chain was hung around his neck, and he was proclaimed the third highest ruler in the kingdom. Daniel's like, okay, whatever, dude. Like, this is not going to matter. I mean, you got minutes here, and you're worried about me being put third in command. 
That very night, Belshazzar, the Babylonian king, was killed. And Darius the Mede took over the kingdom at the age of 62. So we're going to um, continue this story, obviously. We're not going to stop right there. But um, basically, uh, what you find here is you find a king who has not acknowledged God at all. He has been self-centered. He is an idol worshiper. And then he mocks God by bringing in the chalice from the, the temple that they took stuff from in Jerusalem. So he's a God mocker. And he's also somebody that is self-centered. He is divulged himself in all kinds of sin and all these kinds of things that, that he's trying to satisfy his own physical desires and that's the place that he's in that's the place that he's in and God comes in and writes on the wall says your time is up your time is up now you may say man Kenny that that's a terrible message to get to some, somebody to come to faith in Christ or to get to somebody to come to faith in God. We have to recognize the place that we're in before we'll recognize the fact that we need a Savior, okay? Can I tell you something else? There was another city that was on the verge of doom. There was another city that was going to be destroyed, wiped off the face of the planet because, because God said, enough is enough. Too much debauchery, too much idol worship. You've gone too far. It, it, you, you just, I've got, it's going to be better off if we just, we just wipe you off the face of the planet. You remember a town called Nineveh? You remember that? And, and Jonah walks in and he preaches the worst message ever, right? He goes in and he goes, you're doing the wrong thing, y'all. Repent and turn towards God. And that's all he says. He gives like a four-word sermon. And what happens? God spared that city, right? God spared that city. Yeah, Jonah's got some issues of his own when he goes up on the hill and he's got some bitterness because he wanted the Ninevites to be destroyed. But God said, no, no. See, what they did is they repented. See, there's the good news for all of us. You see, we may have been rebelling against God. We may have been full of pride and, and, and just trying to fill our, our own selfish desires and all that kind of stuff. But see, if you look at a city like Nineveh, they repented and they came to God and God rescued them. God rescued them. You have that chance. You have that chance. If you're on that downward slope and you're on the, uh, on the path to destroying yourself, you recognize that's what happens as we destroy ourselves. No enemy really has to attack us. It's really just us destroying ourselves. If you're on that downward slope, if you're sliding down that slippery slope of destruction, you got a chance. You got a chance to see the handwriting on the wall, and you got a chance to repent. You got a chance to come to God and say, God, I know. I humble myself before you, and I know that you're the creator of all things. You're the ruler of all things. And God, you're the savior of all things. So maybe today you need to confess that. Maybe you need to repent and come to God. Say, so God, I've messed up. I've done a lot of things wrong. Maybe you are a Christian and maybe you've, you've done some things you shouldn't have. Maybe now's the chance to come and fall into his arms and say, God, I'm sorry. Maybe you're not a Christian and you've never confessed that Jesus Christ is the Lord and the Savior of the world. Well, you've got a chance. Before you destroy yourself, you've got a chance. You've got a chance. I hope that you won't be filled with shame and guilt and all that 
that stuff. That, that See, that's pride that wells up inside of you, and that's what keeps you from coming in humility and repenting before God. That's the same stuff that will cause your doom, that will cause your destruction. I hope that you recognize that today. But I want you to know that there's a grace out there. There's a God out there that loves you more than you love yourself. And His grace is sufficient. And He will rescue you and He will save you. And He will always provide a way out. Let me pray. Father, thank You for Your precious Word. Thank You, God, for continuing to rescue us. God, even after we've put our faith in You, there are many times we've done things to rebel against You. Well, God, you're still a God full of grace. So, Lord Jesus, I just say thank you for that. And maybe there are some people that need to come to you in repentance today and just fall on their face and say, God, I'm sorry. I acknowledge who you are and what you've done. And, and God, I, just, I, I need to repent of these sins. I need to just turn towards you, turn away from my wicked ways and turn towards you. And then there are some people, God, maybe in this, within the sound of my voice right now, God, they have never acknowledged you as the one true God. They have never acknowledged you as the Savior of the world. And God, I just pray that they would do that today. God, I pray that they would see that you are a rescuing God. You are a, a God who creates new things. God, that you, you take an old heart and make it new. God, I just pray that they would see that today. God, I, I know that what we saw was the fall of a kingdom. God, I pray that today we would not see the fall of a person. We would see the resurrection of a person from death to life. Lord, I pray that your word would do that great work right now. God, be glorified as we respond to you, as we listen to you, as we follow your Holy Spirit right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Everyone stand.